This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so I think I'm to the point in my life and career, having watched sports since I was six years old, I feel what the crowd feels. And I know a lot of people thought, especially in the Denver-Indianapolis game week four, which was a dreadful game. No other way to describe it. No touchdowns. Uh, In fact, at one point during the game, I said to Kirk, I said, is it possible a game could be so bad that it's actually good? (laughs) And he'd never heard anything like that from a partner. He went, no. And then when the game went to overtime, I mean, Richard, we're there to document the game. And Fred had a shot after, I think, uh, the game was tied on a, a last-second field goal. Now we're going to overtime. And there's a shot of uh, maybe a 1,000 people walking out of the stadium. And then the overhead shot from the plane of people you know, going to the parking lot. And Kirk said, I can't believe it's overtime. They're leaving. I said, they'd seen enough. Sometimes you just have to beat the traffic. So – Look, that was that snarky, I guess, in a way. But, Richard, you can't tell me that didn't reflect the feelings of a lot of people, probably the majority of people watching that game. Because, as I say, that game, that game was so bad, it was good in, in its own crazy way. So, I, I know a lot, of people, a lot of people loved it. A lot of people said, well, you know, Al's bored. Al's pissed off that he's doing this. Not the case. I think... I, I, I've done this in the past, you know, Monday night, Sunday night. I did things like this, maybe not, maybe not to that degree, but I'll, I try to, I try to echo the feelings of what the fan feels because I'm a fan. I get it. That's the way I would feel watching that game. Hey, everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Our guest this week, Al Michaels. I don't really need an introduction for Al Michaels if uh, you are a sports television watcher sometime over the last uh, you know, 20 to 30 years or so. He is coming off his first season as the play-by-play voice for Amazon's Prime Video Thursday Night Football Package. He... Um, Depending on when you will listen to this, he will be calling the Jaguars-Chargers AFC wildcard playoff game on Saturday, this Saturday, based on when we are taping. That's 8-15 on NBC. That's as part of Al's contract uh, to call a playoff game for NBC. We had a great conversation. Obviously talked a lot about Al's first year at Amazon and how he saw it. We got into uh, Al's perspective and thoughts on DeMar Hamlin and specifically Joe Buck and ESPN calling that and what a 
broadcaster should be thinking about when it comes to that. And Al had some uh, really, really interesting insight. Got into how Al thinks Sean McVay would do in a broadcasting role. He is very, very high on Sean McVay. He's also very high on Tom Brady. And I think you'll find his uh, comments interesting. In addition, if Mike Tomlin ever decided to go into broadcasting, Mike Tomlin is... uh, essentially the number one pick, at least from everybody I've talked to in the business, of uh, a, uh, a current player or coach uh, in terms of uh, a can't-miss kind of prospect coming into broadcasting. So about the 50 minutes with Al Michaels, I think you're going to enjoy it, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, uh, Al Michaels honestly really does not need an introduction. I'll give him a, uh, I'll give him a minor one, even though he's obviously a major figure. Al Michaels is coming off his first season as the play-by-play voice for Amazon Prime Video's Thursday Night Football. He's called NFL Primetime uh, as a play-by-play announcer for 37 consecutive seasons. I don't know if that's a record, but my sense is if it is, it'll never be broken. Of course, had a storied career at NBC and ABC. His official title at NBC right now is Emeritus, and his Emeritus will be calling the Jaguars and the Chargers in the AFC wildcard playoff game in Jacksonville Saturday at 8.15 on NBC. That's actually pretty – not only is that an excellent game, that's a really good uh, time slot. Uh, Jaguars number four seed in the AFC, Chargers number five seed. And I am pleased to be joined uh, by Al Michaels, who's been on this podcast before. And Al, before we start – you have revealed something in our little pre-chat that I did not know about, and that is you have never had a pet? Is that possible? Well, I, I think it's well known or fairly well known that I've never had a vegetable because that's been read about over and over ad nauseum. But uh, there was a barking dog who I believe was coming from your producer. Patrick Antonetti, uh, yes. Dome. Yes, cor- correct. And uh, you thought I, that was my, my pet. I have never so much as had a goldfish. You know, when I, you grow up in Brooklyn in a one-bedroom apartment, there's not a lot of room for extraneous uh, individuals of either the uh, the animal kingdom or the human kingdom. So my mother, my father, my brother, and I grew up in a one-bedroom apartment, and, uh, and nobody had a pet. I had a mechanical dog one time that they gave me for Christmas. And that was it. But no goldfish, no uh, hamster, nothing wow. well, to this day. I mean, now with respect, you know, the digs have gotten a little bigger in Los Angeles. So, I mean, there is room for a pet if if, if, if this has ever been a, a uh, an option for uh, for you or your wife, correct? And, and we like to travel a lot. So would you ah, like you to go. find me a, a dog sitter and somebody who would wash the dog and all that stuff? And I, I love going around and, and seeing all of these doggy hotels now, especially, you know, living on the west side of Los Angeles. God forbid, you know, your dog should go to you know, like the housekeeper for, for, for two weeks. No, the dog has to go to like the four seasons of, uh, of, of canine, uh, you know, the, the canine world. So uh, it's, it, it's uh, something that's sort of indigenous to my part of the country, but I'm not going to be a part of that. Trust me, Rick. Okay. Well, if, the, if you do get a dog, I have uh, Fred Gadelli, Marie Donahue, and Jay Marine's number. So I'm, I'm gonna, we'll, we might be able to get a dog sitter for you. There you go. All right. Let me start off out with NBC. And that is you have the Chargers Jaguars, as I mentioned. And this is an excellent game. Um, you know, as part of uh, sort of contractually, uh, we knew you were going to get a playoff game this year. This turns out to be an excellent playoff game. I think you're working with Tony Dungy. Um, right. And so, um, you know, I'm not going to ask you like, Ooh, what's it going to be like to work for NBC? That's an incredibly silly, uh, a question, but you gotta, you gotta be 
excited, right, about the fact that you get to do a playoff game. I think people are going to be particularly interested in this game, and it's a nice coda for the season for you. No question. And this was part of the deal that we made uh, at, at NBC. I went to Amazon. But don't forget, too, a lot of the people I worked with this year at Amazon, headed by Fred Goodelli, the producer, I, I, I've known from, from NBC days. So this wasn't like I was going into a totally mysterious operation with people I didn't know. I've known a lot of these people. I've worked with a lot of these people. So this is, to me, it's a game, and it's just on a different platform. Now we're back on the NBC platform instead of the Amazon platform. But I'm excited about it. I mean, when I saw this, uh, the possibility of this game winding up uh, on NBC, I was excited about it because we had Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago against the, the Jets. Uh, got to meet Trevor Lawrence, and of course, I've known Doug Peterson for years and a couple of their other guys. And uh, I found them to be a very entertaining team. And they certainly were down the stretch. And, you know, they're on a nice little run right now. Living in Los Angeles, obviously, I know a lot about the Chargers. I've done a number of their games through the years. You've got Justin Herbert. You know, you've got Austin Eckler. Uh, you don't know about Mike Williams. He got hurt yesterday, but they, they seem to uh, feel that he'll, he'll be able to play. They, you know, Khalil Mack is there. So I'm looking at this game and thinking this is one of the uh, this is one of the spotlight games of this weekend. I'm excited. I would be too. I, I think you've got an excellent game uh, in terms of competitiveness. I, you know, the odds are pretty tight, so I, I, you know, it could have been different. And 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 good for you to get this one. All right, I have um, you know, in your career, Al, you have faced. I mean, I almost every situation that a play-by-play person could face, whether it was a natural disaster to, you know, as we all know, arguably the greatest upset um, in the history of modern sports with the the Lake Placid Olympics. But what Joe Buck faced on Monday, January 2nd with DeMar Hamlin was pretty uncharted territory. And I wonder, as someone who has been in that seat, if you would just offer for my audience sort of what you were thinking about when you watched Joe and Troy and Lisa have to do that broadcast. Well, number one, you're watching what everybody else is watching, and you are you're nervous and you're upset and you're worried. And I think what Joe was able, able to do that the viewer couldn't because of the seriousness of that situation and administering CPR, they kept a wide shot on the screen. And that's what you saw. Yep. But Joe was able to see more than you saw. So that had to be nerve wracking for Joe and for Troy and for anybody else who was able to see what was going on live? We couldn't tell because, and rightfully so, the the director and the producer. We, we you, you don't go in close on on injuries of that nature. Certainly, uh, that would be the number one example the other night. Yep. So, when you're in a situation like that, you're at the what you what you what you have to understand is that the only information you can get has to be from sources you can trust and those would be obviously they started in the in the truck with the producer in the in the case with with joe and i thought joe did a great job in Troy. they were number one they were very human about this we all felt the same way we, we know and then everybody wants to, to have the latest information but nobody could get the latest information at that point they're saving a guy's life on the field there's not much more to be said at that point. You don't know anything. Anything else would be ridiculous speculation. 
Right. And then apparently, I know ESPN took a little bit in the neck and they shouldn't have because there was clearly a, a, a process whereby there was communication between maybe John Perry, who was is in uh, communication with their, their rules analyst, with the officiating department. But I do know for a fact from the people who were there that Zach Taylor was told at one point, you guys will either have five minutes or 10 minutes to warm up, which was the reason Joe Burrow went out and threw some warm-up passes on the sideline. Sure. So I know that, you know, Troy Vincent was, um, uh, you know, over the top about, about uh, we never said that, we never, well, wait a minute, who knows what really took place there? You know, that could be, you know, making up something on the back end of it, or maybe he didn't know what was said. But clearly, Joe didn't just say that out of thin air. Joe got what he considered to be information from a very reliable source. And I thought he handled it well, and I thought ESPN took it in the neck from some people in a way they should not have. Let me ask you this, Al, just because I think you have been there, and this will be interesting to my listeners. Am I making a fair and correct hypothesis that if someone in your position presented information that was not accurate, the NFL is absolutely in contact with your booth, and in very short order, you would be correcting that information to the to the public, correct? No doubt about it. Yeah, But okay. I think so- in, in, in that situation too, Richard, you should name a source. If, if the league comes to us and says, I think you have to say who told you, okay? You can't hide behind a screen because right. we're the ones who are out there. We're not hiding. We can't. We're out of, you know, the, the, the curtain is up. You can't hide behind the curtain somewhere. So I think when, when you get information, who did it come from? Did it come, the, the, the league is a big entity. That's who right. told you? And so I would always be of a mind to say, This is what we've heard, and this is who we heard it from. The let me ask you sort of one more thing about that, and I imagine um, you had to deal with this in 1989 with the earthquake. The thing that I was really particularly impressed by Joe Buck and Troy Aikman is they never speculated. They told you what they saw on the field, and that was it. Lisa Salters, who did a phenomenal job, told you what told you what she saw with her eyes, but never speculated, never went never went down any kind of medical guessing, et cetera. And I wonder if you noted that too, because you know, you had in 1989, I realize it's a, it's a different experience, but again, it's the same kind of thing is that you can only tell the audience what you see with your eyes. You don't want to make larger speculation. Exactly right. Well, two things. Number one, I want to shout out to Michelle Tafoya, who about 10 years ago had a situation in Houston we were doing a game where yep. Gary Kubiak, Kubiak coaching the right. Texas, is walking off the field and collapsed. And Michelle did a fantastic job of explaining what she saw, what they were doing, and not speculating. You don't want to go into the world of speculation. Back in 1989, it's a long time ago, and, and the, the lines of communication were vastly different that night in San Francisco. You had an earthquake, and you, you couldn't even communicate with some of the people you wanted to. But when I went, wound up going from the booth at Candlestick to the truck, because it was easier to do what I was going to do in terms of narrating what was taking place in the Bay Area, it was easier to do it down there. I was getting fed a lot of information and a lot of misinformation. And at one point, somebody in the truck said, CBS is reporting that the Golden Gate Bridge has collapsed. So this is somebody in the truck saying, 
I'm hearing that and see, I'm going, wait a minute. I have no idea if that's true, false or whatever. What I did know is that I knew there was a collapsed section of the Bay Bridge, not the Golden Gate Bridge. And we had the great benefit we had that night was the blimp. And I was able to get our guy who was in uh, in communication with the blimp pilot, Mickey Whitman, to show me to show me the Golden Gate Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge was fine and traffic was going across. it, So I knew that was false. But I was that was probably the most egregious of the things that came by me, uh, Richard, at that point. But I knew it. I was only going to tell you what I knew. You know, I knew the geography of the area very well. I'd lived in California. I kind of understood earthquakes. I'm not going to give you the whole Richter scale thing, but I'm going to tell you, okay, here, here's what it felt like. Here's what we know about what, what the epicenter is. I see the fire here in the marina. There's a collapsed section of the freeway in Oakland. Uh, and and the, the obviously the, the collapsed section of the Bay Bridge. That's what I saw. And that's what I reported on. And everything else needed to be need to come to come from an official source. So you don't go anywhere where you shouldn't go. God, I can't even imagine had you said on air the Golden Gate Bridge was, I mean, you'd never come back from that. No, know? never. No, they, they, they would live with you forever. All right. Let's talk about year one at Amazon. Uh, it's now done. And right. I'm going to ask you an open-ended question. How would you um, assess your first year there with a little bit of perspective? I went in optimistic that the show would look good. Uh, it would it would be a big-time presentation. And it probably, in a way, exceeded my expectations. I thought it would look good. Uh, I didn't think it would necessarily be that good. And for that, I credit, you know, Fred and I, I credit a lot of the people that he brought over. Because if you go back a year or so, Amazon, they didn't have any infrastructure. They didn't have equipment. They didn't have personnel except uh, for Marie Donahue and, um, and Jared Stacey who were kind of put in charge of, of finding people, hiring people, making a deal with NBC, which they did for yep. to provide the production and getting Fred to do it. And I knew once they got Fred involved in this thing, it was going to look big and obviously you know they didn't want any kind of a rinky dink second rate uh, production they wanted this to look great amazon was totally into this thing completely and they i don't want to say didn't spare any expense but whatever we needed as a production group they were there to provide they couldn't have been um, um, more welcoming more helpful uh and they were they were I think I, I think they were very happy with the way it turned out because, you know, frankly, I, you know, it's not a brag either, Richard. I, I think I put our production of the way it looked up against any network's production this year. How did you feel uh, your dynamic was with Kirk Herbstreit? I, I, I think you knew of each other, but you weren't very close prior to this season. So how do you feel like that played out? I didn't know Kirk at all until yeah. uh, May. So we got together for the first time in May. And had a couple of meetings, and then we did an upfront with with them, and we talked about uh, philosophy and all of that. I thought it worked out very well because I, I, he, what he did this year was astonishing to me. I mean, he yeah. would do a game on Thursday night. He would fly out after the game. He would go from Green Bay to Bozeman, Montana, to have meetings on on Friday morning at nine o'clock local time there to get up on Saturday and do a three hour game day pregame show for ESPN. And then get on a plane after that pregame show and over the next three or four hours fly to Tuscaloosa, Alabama or Austin or wherever the hell he was going and do a game that night. Nobody could do this. It was astonishing. 
and I, I give him a ton of credit for being able to pull this off. I mean, this was something that to me is unparalleled in the history of our business to be able to do it and do it well. He is tremendously prepared. When he came in, a lot of people said to me, well, he doesn't know the NFL. I went, hold on a second. Football is football. Of course, we know there are differences between pro and college. We know that. But Kirk knows that too. And by the way, the, the turnover in the NFL is almost like college. You don't see too many guys playing more than four years. Kirk has covered almost all of those young guys. He probably had a, a better read on those guys than some of the other analysts who've been there a while, who haven't seen college football. And I think as the year went by, Richard, we developed our, our pacing, got, got better, and just where, where we wanted to go. It was never a, a, an, a, an issue to the point where it was, it was a problem. But we wanted, you know, he's a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist. We wanted this thing to be, to be as perfect as it could be. And so we got to the point. And also, the other thing, too, which is very interesting, uh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not at ESPN, so I don't know, you know, the dynamic on their college football telecast. But Kirk, I, I know, has a huge role in terms of the entire presentation of that package to the point of, you know, apparently even calling for a lot of replays. Fred Gadelli is the complete opposite. Fred is a totally hands-on producer, totally, uh, which is, you know, great. And I've worked with Fred for 22 years, and we know how, we know how to sing that song, obviously. But for Kirk, it was a different thing to instead of being the guy that kind of is in control of a lot of things that he's not in control of on Thursday night. And then to come to Thursday night with Fred, it, it, it took it took a little time for him to, to adjust to that. What will happen in a post Fred Gadelli universe for that production? Well, I think Fred's going to you know step away from producing the game, the line produced. But I think he's going to be there a lot and oversee it. Uh, which will be great. I, and you know, the, the thing with Fred is, I think he. This was a great challenge for him. It was, uh, you know, a, a real feather in his cap to, to you know, obviously do uh, Monday and Sunday the way he did it for all of those years, and then to, to to start this, to start this operation and build something like this from scratch. It's great. So he's not going to do a one and done. He's going to do a one and I'll still be there half the time. I, I'll come off the bench, but he's still going to be there. And he'll still be in the year of, I think it's going to be Mark Teitelman who's going to wind up with the job, who's a great producer as well. So I'm not too concerned about that transition. Not as concerned as I would be if Fred was stepping away full time. So this could go a couple different ways, Alan. I want to ask you about this. The, the reality is you have already exceeded, I think, what anyone would ever sort of dream of in terms of an NFL broadcasting career you have done super bowls you've done the biggest games you did sunday night football monday night football etc etc you know again it's the longest resume on earth here now that said you also still want compelling exciting games on amazon this year you had a couple and then some other games you had some duds i know you're very aware of this al you're very you're very heightened on to all this stuff there are some who suggested that you were a little perhaps ticked off at the competitiveness of some of these games. You don't control any of this stuff, but I'm filibustering here because it's a long way of saying Amazon schedule is always going to be different than Sunday Night Football schedule. And this did become apparent this year. What are your thoughts on that as we've now passed all this? Okay, so I think I'm to the point in my life and career, having watched sports since I was six years old, I feel what the crowd feels. 
And I know a lot of people thought, especially in the Denver-Indianapolis game week four, which was a dreadful game. No other way to describe it. No touchdowns. Uh, in fact, at one point during the game, I said to Kirk, I said, is it possible a game could be so bad that it's actually good? <laughs> right, he'd never heard anything like that from a partner. He went, no. And then it, when the game went to overtime, I mean, Richard, we're there to document the game. And Fred had a shot after, I think, uh, the game was tied on a, a last-second field goal. Now we're going to overtime. And there's a shot of uh, maybe a 1,000 people walking out of the stadium and then the overhead shot from the plane of people, you know, going to the parking lot. And Kirk said, I can't believe it's overtime. They're leaving. I said, they'd seen enough. Sometimes you just have to beat the traffic. So, look, that was that snarky, I guess, in a way. But, Richard, you can't tell me that didn't reflect the feelings of a lot of people, probably the majority of people watching that game. Because, as I say, that game, that game was so Bad. It was good in, in its own crazy way. So I, I know a lot of people. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people said, "Well, you know, Al's bored. Al's pissed off that he's doing this." Not the case. I think I, I, I've done this in the you know Monday night, Sunday night. I did things like this. Maybe not. Maybe not to that degree. But I'll. I try to. I try to echo the feelings of what the fan feels because I'm a fan. Right. I get it. That's the way I would feel watching that game. So you can't – what do you do with that game? You can't overhype it. And you've heard me for years. I mean, I am not going to – I've never been one to holler the game at you breathlessly. Uh, and some people love that. They love when the announcers screaming the whole time. All It's like uh, the PA announcers now in stadiums screaming their guts out, third down, whose house, all that crap. I mean – I've never been that way, and I'll never be that way. And I think what I was able to do, even in those bad games, is reflect now, the feeling if I was of the viewer. Management, I would appreciate that. I'd be like, this guy's reflecting how the fan feels about this game. And yeah, we wish it was a better game, but like some games aren't. Uh, there's not. They're not Picasso and Jackson Pollock, right? So. Do you ever hear? Well, they they, 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 they could be Jackson. That's Bob, right, because you know, it's all blotches and splotches up against the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. You're right, throwing that's a, that's a, see, well done, Al. This is, you're showing your right, uh, your right. art history degree here. Um, <laughs> do you hear from management ever at all? I would hope you don't, but I do want to ask. Like, do they ever say, "Al, like take it down a little bit here"? I've had from the Amazon people nothing but support. Nice. Okay. I think they understood what this was. Uh, we're making the most of it. I mean, you just can't oversell something. I mean, you can't take this. This is like, as I said to somebody, what, what did you want me to do? Somebody said, well, you know, you, you needed to make more of that. Nobody inside the business, but a friend of mine, you know, shouldn't you have been more excited? I said, yeah, do you want me to sell you a 20-year-old Mazda? That's what you're asking me to do. I can't, I can't sell you a used car. I'm not a used car salesman. So, but for the most part, the Amazon people were terrific. Fred's known me. Fred and I have done, God knows, 500 games together. So it was a little different, but I've, I've kind of gone down that road a little bit in, in games that have been bad in the past, but not the, but that game was, that game was like horrifically bad. So what was, what were you supposed to do at that point? And, and away I went. What happened for your schedule? Once the playoff game is over with NBC, uh, are you scheduled to do anything between then and August? Not at the moment, but I have a uh, 
in that Emeritus deal with NBC, uh, they can use me for certain events and everything. And I might want to be a part of you know, some of the things that they've got down the line. Okay. Uh, and also at Amazon, I mean, as part of the deal, if they need me to do a couple of things, probably, you know, mainly they'd be off air things. But for the most part, no, I'll be, uh, I'll be uh, resting. I'll be Rip Van. I'll be Rip Van Winkling it until August. Nice, good, good use of the verb there. Um, do you? Yeah. Do, where does your? I mean, you know, you have done a lot of Olympics, Al. But I will say, twenty twenty four. That's a nice little Olympics in Paris. Is that of interest to you? I don't know if you want to at this point in your career do you know a week of afternoon hosting, but. We have seen people in your emeritus position do essays. We have seen people do some kind of live on the air interviews. Would that be of interest to you? I mean, let's face it, like that has the potential to be an amazing Olympics given where it is. Yeah, I mean, everything's on the table. So it's still a year and a half away or, uh, you know, the middle of, of 24. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's a great place to have an Olympic Games. It's going to be, it should be terrific. Uh, I, I so much enjoyed back in uh, 2012 doing London. I thought that was fantastic. This will probably be similar to that in a way. So, yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't been discussed yet, Richard, but it is something that definitely is is on the table and, and would be of interest, no, no doubt. I want to ask you one last thing about Amazon. This is something I wrote about and something I particularly uh, – I gave you a lot of praise here because even though it was a short thing on air, nobody I – mean, and when I say nobody, I mean nobody – in your position ever does this. You were very honest with the audience about Dan Snyder and about how the league felt about Dan Snyder and where Dan Snyder was in relation to the other owners. This was the week, I think, if I remember right, Jim Mersey, uh had made his statements. Um, we don't often get that from uh, from a media partner. Um, and I wanted to know if you ha- if you heard any feedback from the NFL, from Dan Snyder, because again, it, it, it was worth noting that I mean, you just sort of said what all of us have been reading. It's not like this was revelatory, but it's not often we hear that on an NFL broadcast. And I, knowing you were coming on today, I did want to ask if any feedback from anyone on that. No, believe it or not. Um, I think I built up enough credibility over 37 years. Washington was in that game, okay, uh, against Chicago. Uh, and so I knew... I knew going into that game that also ESPN had done a very extensive piece. That's correct. So, I mean, that was a big story that obviously was big on ESPN.com and all of the rest and was picked up, obviously, by Pro Football Talk and other entities. So there was a story that was out there involving a team that was playing in the game that night. And my sources are good enough to know I don't go and just speculate about something like that. I knew for a fact that this was getting embarrassing to the league. They didn't need this, especially when that story came out about, you know, he was going to call out, what was it, Jerry Jones or Kraft right, yeah. or whatever. Uh, I, 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 I didn't know anything about that except what, what was written by... Uh, Don Vanetta, Seth Wickersham. Yeah, good story. Right, what, the, what they'd written. I, that, I didn't know, I had no inside information about any of that stuff and whether he was going to do it or not do it or where it came from. But I did know that I had to address it in that particular situation because that was the game that we had that night. And I knew, obviously, I had enough information about how a lot of the owners felt about Snyder. And this is not something that the league wants to have. They don't want to go through something like this. It's embarrassing to the league. You got investigations up the yin-yang about an owner 
the franchise was has been leaking oil for a, a long, long time. And I said what I said, and, and that was it. And and I didn't make a big deal of it because, you know, again, we go back to the difference. And you and I have talked about this in the past. If you're doing play by play, this is not like you have a 10 minute essay or you're on a pregame show where you can do a packaged piece. I'm trying to jam stuff in in between second and seven and third and three. And then and then you're always upcut if there's a big play and you start you're in the middle of a story. Holy mackerel. Now, where, where, you, where do you go from that point? You, you have no place to go. So you got to weave it in deftly. Get in and get out. And again, within the time constraints of what I had, I said what I had to say, and that was the end of it. Al, you um, you were always been at the forefront of even acknowledging very slyly, as you did, about sort of odds and gambling. You know, you call yourself the rascal, and you would, you know, you'd always have a really great line if somebody had like a backdoor cover or something like that. I think sure. the audience always appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I wonder, from your perspective now. As sports gambling continues to get more legalized around the country, the NFL has made it very clear that they're sort of going very soft into this when it comes to their broadcasting channels. But do you think any time in the next two, three to five years, would you and Kirk be at a place you think where you would discuss, or as we head into uh, today's game, the Rams are a seven-point favorite over the Patriots. I, I don't think you'll ever get to the point where you know you're talking about parlays and stuff like that. But do you think that you know that specific uh, Rubicon gets crossed, where you, as the main play-by-play person, could actually say what the odds are on the air? Uh, to, to to a degree, and I, I I have done that too. I've come on the air occasionally and said so and so is either a double-digit favorite or a touchdown favorite. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe once or twice I've actually said the actual oh, number. Interesting. Okay. But I'll let I'll let you know. You know, big, uh, uh, minor favorite, a uh, big underdog, whatever it's going to be. Um, the inter- It's a very interesting thing that we're going through right now, Richard, because obviously the league uh, and other sports leagues have embraced this. I don't think it's taken off to the degree that I suspected it would have maybe a year ago, because. I, I think the other thing I have to remember, and all of us who do these games, most of the audience is not gambling on the game. That's correct. They're not. The majority is not. So are you going to talk to the 25% at the expense of, to a degree, the 75% who don't? Where do you go with this? You can overdo it. But I think it's it's a case of I've always had fun with it. I still have fun with it. Uh, especially when you get down to the end of the game. And even, you know, my, my brethren are having fun with it. You know, Joe Buck, uh, even Chris Fowler on college football. Right. Uh, oh, I, I think, well, I don't want to say I'm the father of this, because I think Brett Musburg was really the father of this in, in the media. You're the, you're the uncle like, of it, I think, right? I'm the uncle. Brent, well, Brent and I are like twin brothers in this thing. <laughs> but you, you, can, you can, I think people like to have fun with it. But, I mean, there are betting shows now on, you know, ESPN 12 or whatever it is in the afternoon. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking at like 900 numbers on the screen. And, I mean, I'm pretty adept at math and the rest and, and gambling. I, I can't I – can't, I don't know what the hell I'm looking at, to be honest with you. So, I think, I think when you say cross the Rubicon, uh, Rubicon, yes, but, but either slowly or not to the point where, you know, you'd have to have a separate channel for people who are going to bet – whether it's run or pass on every play. And that's going to be a small, small minority. 
Um, I'm going to ask you to play sort of uh, a little um, uh, sort of crystal ball here, or maybe not like crystal ball, sort of maybe uh, uh, a changing history kind of thing. If you want to be judicious about it, I respect it. You sure. you have, you are long close friends with Bob Iger, correct? The chairman of uh, of Disney. We, we started together in 1976 at Disney. Yes, right. Okay, long relationship. Had right. the change in. <laughs> Disney management happened, let's say two years ago. Do you think that might have changed where you would have ended up? Meaning maybe you're at ESPN as opposed to Amazon, just given your personal and longtime professional relationship with Bob Iger. A couple of years ago when Bob was still there, it was written. So I'm not breaking any news here. And of course right. this will wind up on the internet that they were very interested in me coming over at that point. And there was a, an offer made to bring me over, which was denied by NBC. They denied it. So clearly uh, they were in the process of trying to change their, their Monday night template. And I was, I was, if I was available to them, uh, I probably would have had the opportunity. I'm not saying I would have, because there was no deal being made, right. but I know they, they reached out. And again, I don't want to make this, where, you know, you see it on the internet all night long now about, you know, Michael said this was out there. This was yeah. out there. But NBC, NBC denied them the opportunity to, uh, to do that. So, you know, and answers, again, yeah. it, it had to do with, with the, not just Bob, but, but Bob and I have been close through the years, but uh, other people were involved over there at that point. A couple more things here. You, um, I, I remember seeing this. This was like four or five years ago. I don't know if it's still true. Am I correct that you have never seen a soccer game or watched a soccer game live? Or has that changed? I, I, I have seen uh, when my grandson was in the ninth grade, I saw some of his games. Okay. I'm not going to call that a real – no, I've never seen a, a a major league soccer game or premier league or any of that. No, I wow. have – people have always said to me – is there anything you, you'd want to do? Because yeah, I'm World Cup. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, right, right. I've done, yeah. I've done the World Series, and Super Bowls, the NBA Finals, and you know, hosted the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, and they said, well, what about the World Cup? I said, yeah, that, that would be the all-time career ender for a guy to go in and do the World Cup championship game, never having seen a soccer <laughs> game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Eric Shanks, if you're listening out there, there you go. Uh, <laughs> all right, to co- uh, two more here for you, Al, and sure. I appreciate your time. I'm here all day. I got nothing yeah. else to do. Same, same here. All right, yeah. Sean McVay is someone you, you consider him a friend. You certainly are longtime acquaintances, right? Is he a friend? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. He is obviously at this. Um, as we're taping this on uh, January 9th, late in the day on January 9th, he is mm-hmm. contemplating his future. What is very clear is that broadcast networks obviously have been interested in him, will be interested in him if he decides to not coach anymore and head into that. He's obviously a very, very young guy, but a great talker, charismatic, et cetera. Um, so a two-part question on him. One, how do, how do you – if he decides to go into broadcasting, how would you envision Sean McVay as a broadcaster? And do you think – there is a better fit for him between the studio or being a game analyst. Number one, I think he'll be terrific. He is 36 years old and I'm always amazed at how smart he is. Not just football smart, Richard, but world smart. He's extremely well read. He can talk about any number of subjects. He has a brilliant mind. 
And we've had a number of my wife and I have had a number of dinners with with him and with Veronica when she was his fiance and now his wife. And I, I drive back home and I say to my wife, I said, I can't believe somebody that young can be that sharp and that smart. Uh, he he gets it. He sees the world. And in fact, last year, I think, you know, he was to the point and it was well known too. He needed some time after the win the Super Bowl to think about what he wanted to do. And it was also well known too. Amazon was looking at him at that point before Amazon had me, before they had anybody, you know, that like Troy Aikman was obviously in the mix. There was some talk about John Lynch being in the mix. There was certainly some talk about Sean McVay being in the mix. And I think the other thing, too, is what people forget is after he was in the league for two years and took the Rams to the Super Bowl in his second year and lost to New England in the, uh, the game in Atlanta, ESPN made him an offer or, or asked him if he, if he was interested. And I was shocked when I heard that he was even contemplating listening to an offer at that point after two years. So what I think, I think Sean's going to take some time. He has to figure out, you know, granted, he's been coaching for six years. That's not that long. He's still the youngest coach in the league. He sent four guys to head coaching positions. His tree is fantastic, the coaching tree. He is he's a brilliant football mind. And as I say, a, a very, very smart guy. He will be excellent, excellent in the booth. If he wants to do a pregame show and all of that, much easier. Much easier. I think he's the kind of guy that would relish being at the games. I mean, it's one thing to sit in the studio and it's fine. You're in the green room. You watch all the rest of the games. You come out at halftime and at the end of the game, you have a couple of words to say. But, you know, you're, you're with a group of, uh, you know, it's an ensemble cast on those shows. Right. I think, he, I think what Sean would enjoy is being in the fray. And that is at the games, you know, going to practices, meeting with the players and the coaches, I think he'd be, he'd, he'd be very good at both, but I think he'd get the greatest enjoyment out of that. Oh, that's great insight. Thank you, Al. Um, having talked to Fred Gidelli um, for many, many years, uh, not as many years as you have, but I've obviously known him a long time. Guys like Gidelli have a list of people in the league who they think could potentially be good broadcasters down the road. Uh, you know, not only people like Fred Gidelli, executive producer types, but if the presidents of these uh, sports divisions are doing their job, they have that as well. Mike Tomlin is someone who's always been on Fred Gidelli's list. He's on almost everybody else's list. So, and I've written that, and, you know, my the people who also write in this space have written that. From your perspective, Al, right now, who comes to mind that you've done production meetings with or that you've just sort of marinated with the NFL that when they retire, obviously as a coach or a player, you think would be good at this, other than Sean McVay, who we just mentioned? Right. Well, well, Fred and I are in a definite cahoots. Mike Tomlin is just great. Mike Tomlin has a way of describing the mundane in a very original and unique manner. I love our meetings with Mike Tomlin because he's just got a great way of saying things that are so original and, and funny and, and, and very uh, perceptive. Uh, and he has great perspective as well. So Tomlin, clearly. John Harbaugh is another guy who I think would be, would be great at this. There's no, no doubt about that. Um, among the players, there are a number of, you know, I, Look, 
Tom Brady is out there. I think Tom will be better than a lot of people think he'll be. He's the one thing I know about Brady, having known him, obviously, for a long, long time. If Tom does something, he's all in. He is all in. And he's not going to say, I'm Tom Brady. I'm going to show up here and make $37 million or whatever the, that number was that Fox is going to pay him and just show up. No. He'll immerse himself in it. He knows that. Um, he, I'm, he'll be he'll be. If he does it, I have no idea if he'll do it or not. I mean, the guy still, you know, the guy can win the Super Bowl this year. Who the hell knows? That's correct. Right. <laughs> he wants to play as long as he can play, and why not? Um, but there, there were any number of, of players you know, who we've met through the years who, who can be very good. I know that, you know, going back five or six years, Jim Nance and I, and this had gotten written about it a number of times too. Nance and I have been playing golf and uh, we're waiting for the cars to come, you know, they, uh, uh, after we play and uh, we're sitting there talking about, you know, who among the guys out there right now would, this is five or six years ago, would be great. We knew that Peyton Manning, of course, would be, he'd be terrific if he wanted to do it. But the guy we, we both locked in on at the same time was Romo. Romo, yeah. was, Romo was fantastic in those meetings. Great. And a great sense of humor and a lot of fun. And, you know, and, and Tony went with, with Jim and, uh, and away he's gone with, you know, long-term deal and and uh, and a lot of popularity so i mean right now i'm just trying to like i say i i tomlin's at the top of the list as far as i'm yeah yeah so here's the last one and just uh, as someone who's a long you know you have been um in some ways one has to be politically smart to have as long a career as you have had um in broadcasting you obviously have to be good and you have to sort of stay on the merits but you know there's some career strategy involved, for lack of a better word. I found myself really struck this year by Greg Olson. I kind of think it's really fascinating in that I think he's done an excellent job with Kevin Burkhart. And he's doing this, obviously, with Tom, you know, the specter of Tom Brady, sort of his gigantic shadow over, over all of this. And I wonder just, Al, from your perspective, that, like, if you're Greg Olson and, you know, let's say Tom Brady comes in and obviously he's going to be the number one analyst. You don't pay a guy that kind of money to to be on a third guy on a team or on the number two team. But I feel like Greg Olson has played this beautifully. If nothing else, like he is, he's risen his stature as an analyst. And that can only mean good things for him as a guy who's whatever, 37, 36 years old. How did you see it? Agreed. Totally. I mean, a, a, a very unusual situation, obviously, because, you know, Joe Buck leaves, Aikman leaves, right? So now what are they going to do? And the, uh, Burkhardt ascends. What do you do? What do you, what do you do? Who do you, who do you put in there? And he was the guy, he was the next guy down, down the line. Um, I give him a lot of credit because he sounds like anything but a guy who's looking over his shoulder. I think he's, he's been very confident on the air. I think he's done a really good job. Uh, and again, only he would know, you know, how do you put, there's an elephant in that room. There's an elephant. Can you keep the elephant in the backyard for a while. And maybe that elephant will stay in the backyard for three or four more years. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe, maybe the elephant will never come into the house. You never know that. But I give Greg a lot of credit because, I mean, you'd never know if you didn't know what was going on. All right, last one, Al. I know you love history, and you're someone who's a voracious reader of current events and politics and history. What are you reading right now? Anything good? Well, you know what? I can finally start reading again because when you go through a football season, um, and I have no time to read. I have, people say, have you watched Yellowstone? I haven't watched Yellowstone. No, I'm watching freaking tapes of games 
every <laughs> and especially on Amazon, where, you know, at least at NBC, you'd get teams multiple times. This year, right. I had to learn 20. I had 29 of the 32 teams. So I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I've won the, the, the golden ring by getting Jacksonville and the Chargers because I've had them both this year. But for the most part, I, I've been unable to watch anything. I, I'm not sure what I'm going to read. I'm going to take a look at what's, what's out there, what's new and what's interesting and what's exciting. But you know what? I mean, I'm a voracious reader and I'm a voracious reader of newspapers, yep. <laughs> but even though there are far fewer of them than they used to be. Of, yeah. uh, of magazines as well. But, uh, you know, I'll go on, you know, one of the sites I use a lot is Press Reader because it gives you news. I like to read newspapers from around the country, get the feel for what, what's going on in each individual town because it's so much different in different parts of the country. So that that excites me. And yet in terms of books and stuff, I've, I've got to go to, I haven't taken a look at the, you know, the New York Times bestseller list for six months or so, but there will be something coming up very shortly. All right, Al, this is my gift for you and the listeners here. This is yep. what I'm going to leave you with. If you don't remember this, you're welcome to email me and I will tell you this. I know you would love this piece, okay? Okay. One of the best pieces that I read in 2022 came out December 7th, 2022. Easy easy date to remember. Okay. The, sec- the Secret Lives of MI6's Top Female Spies by the Financial Times. It is an incredibly fascinating look at um, the women of MI6 who no one has ever heard of and obviously no one has ever talked to. And this writer from the Financial Times was given like pretty exclusive um, access to these women who rose up that spy agency. It is an absolutely fascinating uh, 20-minute read. Again, The Secret Lives of MI6's Top Female Spies, The Financial Times. That is my gift to you, Al. You will appreciate that. Well, what I find fascinating, Richard, is that you – as a sports writer, even though you're more than that, are reading the Financial Times. Yes, I know. <laughs> Which, We're, by the way, is a, is a fantastic publication. Yeah, you know one that. needs finance. One need, one should have finances to read the Financial Times, Al. But yes, I'm, I'm, <laughs> so what are you doing? Read the Financial Times. <laughs> I just I am like ever since I was a kid. This is one thing that my uh, my mom bestowed on me was we had newspapers and magazines everywhere, yeah. and that developed my love of reading. So I can remember as a little kid. Reader's Digest, Time Magazine, Life Magazine. This was all over the house. So it was essentially impossible in our uh, in our New York uh, house not to read. And so um, mm-hmm. so that's what's that's what's did it. So whether it's the Financial Times or the uh, Al Michaels Tribune, I would read it if it's interesting. Well, we have, believe it or not, at our house in Los Angeles right now, I get five newspapers in the driveway every morning. That's awesome. Five. I love that. There, there aren't five newspapers in the country. I mean, think about that. It doesn't. Can I take? Can I take a guess as to the five? Yes, you can. Okay, Los Angeles Times is an obvious correct. one, so that's one. Correct. I would say the New York Times is a pretty obvious one. That's that two. is correct. And then knowing you, I'm going to say the Washington Post. No, no. Nope. Okay, the New York Post then. Correct. <laughs> yes. Okay, that's three. <laughs> yeah, okay. We're not. We're not talking about. Um, Entertainment publications, no, right? Like not. variety no, is not part of this. Okay. Regular, regular, yeah. Regular newspapers. USA Today. Still? Correct. Correct. Okay, that's the four. The only guy. I thought the fifth. <laughs> no, I'm you're missing the fifth one. The fifth one would be yeah, the, the f- one I go to first. Uh, it's a- Wall Street Journal. There you go. It's a cousin of the Financial yeah. Times. 
Yeah, of course. Okay, that's good though. That's Al. You're single handedly keeping some people in business. Tell me on that. And then the Brentwood Post comes out once a week, and that's for the driver. Yeah. that's free. Though those are, uh, yeah, everything you mentioned there is is worth subscribing to. All right, Al Michaels. Um, again, you know his uh, his his resume and background. He will be this Saturday. Uh, doing Jaguars Chargers, which is an excellent, excellent game. Yep. I think that's going down. That's not, trust me, Al. That's not going to be uh, whatever that Colts game back in whenever you guys call that no. week four. This is going to be a good game. You know what I'd love I feel- if I had one wish, and I always said in, in, the, in the, the all the Super Bowls that I did, the one thing I wanted to do was do an overtime Super Bowl. Came close. Oh yeah. Came close, but didn't happen. And then and then Joe and Troy got it with a twenty five point comeback, right? And they they got they got the game I wanted. Uh, what I would like to have is the longest game in the history of the NFL. And the great thing about the playoffs Ooh. is it, it opens up that window for you. So if we could go to like the end of triple overtime, I think that would be about the coolest thing in the world. That would be. Although Al, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a point. I'm gonna I'm gonna take on my own consulting here and try to get you to do like uh, France versus Mexico, France Argentina in 2026 for Fox. Just gonna give you a one off on one of those games for the World Cup. Do I get any practice time? Do I, by the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get, we'll give you, we'll give you like a, uh, we'll give you some kind of like Barcelona, Real Madrid, so you can go to a cool city. Well, what if I came? What, what if I came on the first thing I said is, why does the clock run up and not down? <laughs> you think that'll work? Well, if you think, if you think, Al, if you think football fans are tough, you've never seen soccer viewers. No kidding. I hear you, man. <laughs> All right, Al Michaels, everyone. The great Al Michaels. Al, as always, it's a pleasure to catch up with you. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Love it, Rich. Anytime, man. All right, back in the studio. Uh, My thanks to Al Michaels. That was a lot of fun. He's he's always an excellent podcast guest. Um, If you like these kind of conversations, head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch uh, homepage on however you get this uh, podcast via Apple or Stitcher or Google Play or Spotify or whatever. Previous podcast before this one, Chad Finn and myself discussed ESPN's coverage of Jamar Hamlin. Um, that was an impressive night and a long one for ESPN, and uh, Chad and I got pretty deep into that. Before that, a conversation with two of Canada's most prominent sports voices, Tara Sloan and Stephen Brunt. Had Malika Andrews and Kendra Andrews of ESPN Sisters uh, back on December 20th, 2022. Episode prior to that, Remembering the Life of Grant Wall with John Wertheim, Jeff Perlman, and Mark Moravik and myself, four people who worked uh, pretty closely with Grant for many years before that, TJ Quinn and Brittany Grinders. Return to America. Hopefully you'll find something in the archives. Uh, leave us a review. Uh, if you like this podcast, five-star review and a nice note. That is how this podcast continues. I want to thank uh, Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work on this podcast. Thanks to everybody, Caves 13. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Review Podcast.